this is the in focus podcast from the hindu welcome to another edition of the hindu's in focus podcast i'm zubeda hamid your host for today over the past few years we've heard the names of a lot of new diseases we had the zika virus the nipah virus and even an ebola scare while the coronavirus pandemic rocked the country Scientists estimate that about 60% of all known infectious diseases are zoonotic, meaning that they spread from animals to people. India has a huge population with large numbers of livestock reared, and the additional issue of climate change events such as heat waves and floods affecting the country that make us particularly vulnerable to infectious diseases. Which is why the concept of one health is now being talked about. This is an approach that recognizes that the health of humans, animals, plants and their shared environment is interconnected and needs a unified approach across multiple sectors to tackle public health challenges. India's National One Health Mission, being led by the office of the principal scientific advisor, is part of its G20 health priorities. But while a holistic approach of this sort does seem to make sense, some concerns have been raised. when developing countries share material with developed countries will they legally be able to benefit from these collaborations how exactly will the one health framework work out within these contexts we discuss these questions and more with dr rajiv dasgupta professor at the center of social medicine and community health at jawaharlal nehru university welcome to the hindus in focus podcast dr rajiv dasgupta hello and good morning Doctor, could you explain the concept of One Health to us and talk to us about how India is taking this forward through the National One Health Mission? I'm glad we are discussing One Health, which uh, in the post-COVID context has, along with some other terms, almost become a household buzzword. And add to that the fact that the ongoing G20 discourse uh which rightly focuses uh among other things on very key uh, public health issues also foregrounds uh one health as a key agenda so in that context uh it's a it's a very contextual theme and it's also a very complex theme in the sense that uh this is a this is a new and uh, often uh, to the to the uninitiated a very complex uh, concept and in addition to the complexities of the concept applying it uh, and and operationalizing it remains uh, an an evolving challenge so to explain what one health is originally the who defined one health as an integrative effort of multiple disciplines working locally nationally and globally to achieve optimal health for people animals and the environment and therefore the overarching purpose is to encourage collaborations in research and sharing of knowledge at multiple levels across diverse disciplines including human health animal health plants soil environmental and ecosystem health in ways that improve protect and defend the health of all species that really is the formal definition 
And therefore, the nucleus or the core of this is really an integrated unifying approach that aims to sustainably balance and optimize the health of people, animals, and ecosystems. And therefore, this is also absolutely in sync with the sustainable development goals that the world is pursuing. Talk to us a little bit about, you mentioned the COVID-19 pandemic just now. Talk to us a little bit about that. Has the necessity for such an approach gained urgency after the pandemic? Yes, what uh, COVID-19 has done is to bring several, to make several issues pretty center stage. Uh, And one of that is uh, One Health. Linked to that, of course, is the fact that One Health has historically been and continues to be approached from different ends and therefore to to have or, or to be variously understood to have somewhat different purposes and goals. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, the broad, and, and this is something, an understanding that emerges around the turn of this millennium, uh, is the whole necessity and urge to work together to promote global health. And COVID-19, as we have seen, of course, coming on the back of a series of uh, outbreaks and other pandemics such as SARS and influenza, among the more recent ones, though those really didn't cause uh, the, the catastrophic consequences that COVID did, essentially has refocused attention to address public health and its determinants in a more multisectoral fashion uh, and why and how the health sector needs to cooperate with other sectors uh, to achieve the array of public health goals. And COVID-19, both in its in terms of its origin, though that, that remains an unsettled debate, uh, most likely uh, traces it back to animal reservoirs and therefore the nature of animal-human interaction we have, uh, within which, of course, food systems are nested, uh, and the consequences that it has for health, which you know, downstream results in excess mortality that we have seen, uh, tremendous uh, humanitarian implications, and certainly as we continue to grapple with it, emergent of both new forms as well as uh, long COVID, which has more long-term consequences than an acute viral illness. Getting a little bit into the specifics of what we just spoke about, we know it's an unsettled debate as to uh, how COVID really originated, but over the past few years, we've also had cases of Nipah, Zika, there was even an Ebola scare. Is the number of zoonotic diseases, the, the diseases that spread from animals to humans on the rise, and is India particularly vulnerable in this context? Yes, uh, it's not just India, but uh, South Asia or the subcontinent as a whole is broadly uh, a part of this the, 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 the ecosystem that uh, contributes significantly to zoonotic disease risks. Now, for a better understanding, the key zoonotic diseases that the subcontinent, including India, uh, deals with 
are diseases such as rabies, uh, leptospirosis. Rabies, for example, is prevalent across the country, but leptospirosis largely has been, had traditionally been limited to certain high-risk occupation groups, but has expanded into non-occupational settings, including recreational settings, agricultural settings, but still largely limited to certain uh, states or regions within the country. Uh, then, of course, we have Nipah virus, which is a more recent uh, disease. Uh, we have brucellosis and, of course, avian influenza. Uh, we have we have had several several rounds of uh, avian influenza uh, in the country, largely linked to poultry or, or links with poultry, rather. And then uh, some more relatively rare conditions such as anthrax, uh, etc., what is what is very significant uh, about uh, about uh, zoonosis and the risk of risk of uh, infections affecting humans in 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 this context uh, is what what we now agree uh, is not just what the food systems are uh, how how well markets are regulated and so on and so forth and we know that uh, in, in in this part of the world, as in many other parts of the world, uh, much of much of markets uh, that deal with uh, that deal with uh, food linked to animal sources uh, are very poorly regulated and therefore has or carries much higher risks. But what is central? What is central? And what we often do not uh, pay enough attention to uh, is that. As, as communities, certain practices or behaviors are perceived as risky by experts. And uh, therefore, what drives these uh, risky behaviors or behaviors or practices that make uh, certain, certain sections of the community more susceptible? And not just that, but that these behaviors are likely to be very complex and in turn influenced by many factors uh, that must be understood before any awareness or behavior change interventions are initiated. And there is, there is, a, is, is a great deal of investment in this, in, in trying to understand uh, how different communities uh, engage with uh, animal trade in animals, consumption of animal source foods, uh, and not just how to safely and sustainably carry those, but that these impinge also on community livelihoods and that these are not just a matter of providing certain information or educational interventions. This also has to do with uh, how production systems have corporatized uh, into industrial scale production in many cases, such as the poultry or or some other foods, different. Uh, de uh, sorry, depending on the country or the, or the or the local context that we are talking of, but uh, that these merit serious uh, investments in understanding these practices, behaviors, trade, markets, and that they are complexly intertwined with each other. Give us. An example of one of these risky behaviors or practices that you were talking about, Doctor. So, for example, if we 
if we talk of uh, food systems, the the poultry industry, for example, uh, is one of the largest uh, largest uh, providers of of uh, animal source food, uh, including in our country. So, just to give uh, an, an an estimate of how the poultry industry has grown, uh, the global production of poultry meat and and this is true much across uh, south south southeast asia also in our part of the world uh, the trends that is so the global production of poultry meat increased from 9 million tons in 1961 to 133 million tons uh, in 2020 which is a 50 year period and similarly egg production in this period rose by six times from about 15 million ton- tons to 93 million tons of course there are there are countrywide variations but uh, production or increasing production of such key uh, key elements of food uh, actually lead to increased uh, increased usage of of say antibiotics and therefore on, on one hand, leading to, to undesirable consequences such as increased antimicrobial resistance. On the other hand, uh, unsafe handling or, or unsafe transportation of these uh, of, of, of foods, including poultry, leads to spillage of various infections which are from, from animal sources or reservoirs uh, to, to, to human. And this is, this is very true of of uh, those those countries where or, or those contexts where uh, unregulated uh, wet markets or, or or really where animal uh, food is, is is sold and traded uh, actually uh, lead to lead to enhanced risks and uh, increasingly this is this is being identified and we can talk about it a little more later is not just limited to animal systems but also to the plant world the the animal husbandry is historically better regulated because animals are much high value resources uh, as seen in uh, both in industrial terms as well as traditional contexts but this is equally true or or equally an emerging concern in the in the plant world too Tell us a little bit about that, Doctor. In the plant world, you mean in terms of our crops that are grown? So essentially, the the whole the 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 core concept is of what is known as biosecurity, where we try and we invest to make uh, food systems uh, or and and including contact with animals safer. And uh, what we have seen, of course, with COVID uh, pandemic in particular, we have seen that the whole uh, notion of of biosecurity of infection control uh, these have these have uh, come to become pretty center stage, and the the whole notion of biosecurity threat uh, or, or threat perceptions in terms of biosecurity uh, are have 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 become. Not that they're not that they're a new concern, but they have emerged to be to be bigger concerns. And in the agricultural world, what's known as agricultural biosecurity, 
which which is a term that has that has uh, many meanings but traditionally in the animal husbandry context biosecurity was has is, is used to describe measures that are taken to reduce the risk of spread of animal diseases on f- farms and uh, also the whole whole term security is linked to also to defense against biological weapons such as deliberate introduction of smallpox or anthrax uh, in in human populations that that has been the the traditional uh, understanding and and when you when you connect that to to the to the current uh, context or or more recent times uh, there are a range of biosecurity problems that of course entail very high costs so globally there has been the foot and mouth disease uh even influenza uh even influenza we have i mean india also has had several waves of 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 even influenza and therefore anim- so the the biosecurity problem therefore uh has largely been associated with animal husbandry or animal food systems uh however it's increasingly recognized that both uh accidental as well as human assisted movements uh can lead to agricultural pests uh also either emerging stronger or being introduced to new areas and therefore agricultural biosecurity has emerged as 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 another layer of biosecurity uh, over and above uh, the the conventional understanding of the conventional practices around biosecurity in animal husbandry contexts You spoke a little earlier about uh, the increasing use of uh, antibiotics in in poultry farming which experts say has is, is a big factor in antimicrobial resistance in India today. Is this again something that a one health approach policy can tackle? Uh yes, uh in fact I myself am a part of a very large uh, global ukri gcrf grant called the one health poultry hub so essentially the purpose of uh, of of any 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 such uh, any, any such initiative is to make uh, production of animal source foods such as poultry but it may be it's not just confined to poultry it may be beef it may be pig meat it may be seafood uh which of course each of these have uh, very unique characteristics but uh each of these have had have had uh, usage of antibiotics to to promote uh, production uh and therefore uh, the safe use of antimicrobials are tied to animals humans as well as uh, agriculture and uh in fact in 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 contemporary times uh it is antimicrobial resistance which has been seen as a threat to animal and plant health uh with major concerns both for food security because it's a production is seen as a production issue primarily as well as food safety both are important food security as well as food safety uh antimicrobial resistance in the animal and plant health context has uh, emerged very strongly and of course uh, that that links to why why uh, one health is relevant so 
there has been there has been a global global uh, effort to bring in the one health approach for dealing with uh, the, the the challenges at these various interfaces and therefore these include or these have included uh, promoting antimicrobial resistance awareness of uh, strengthening surveillance and research on antimicrobials uh, with an aim to reduce AMR in humans, animals, and the environment, and to enhance access to and safe use of antimicrobials uh, in these sectors. These, of course, mean uh, committing, making substantial financial investments and therefore building a case for return on investment on antimicrobials and diagnostics. This, of course, would vary from uh, country to country or setting to setting. But what's absolutely uh, universally recognized is that antimicrobial resistance is a silent pandemic. Uh, that's that's now uh, certainly caught global and national attention. In fact, it's not just for, for India, it's not just national, but several states have already produced and are in the process of operationalizing state action plans and other states are several other states are working on this and uh, will will be following this you spoke to us about the one health approach uh, interconnecting the health of animals plants humans and the ecosystem talk to us a little bit about the ecosystem aspect of it um, in india of late we have had so many climate change events such as floods and heat waves especially that we've seen this year how 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 does all of this uh, connect to our human health yes in fact uh, while one health uh, as i said uh, is is often linked to to the, the risk of zoonosis or the risk uh, and the evidence around emergence of new infections or new outbreaks or epidemics or even pandemics, One Health is not just uh, limited to emerging diseases or issues such as antimicrobial resistance, but essentially that, uh, and I quote, that it is an integrated unifying approach that aims to sustainably balance and optimize the health of people, animals, and ecosystems. And that becomes very crucial uh, in going beyond emerging infections, going beyond novel pathogens, and essentially understanding one health as a foundational principle to understanding and addressing some of the core existential threats to contemporary times. And this spans across AMR, across food and nutrition security, and even climate change. And therefore, the, the argument or the strong argument that's made uh, is that, and, and very rightly so, that human health has largely or almost essentially had an anthropocentric view that human being is the center of everything uh, and that everything has to revolve around human being or human welfare in a very narrow sense. And one health or that there are some definitional uh, differences between terms such as One Health or Eco Health or Planetary Health. But what all 
broadly, I'm saying broadly, though there are pretty somewhat nuanced differences, broadly uh, point to is an interconnected and interdependent relationship uh, of humans, both with non-human animals and the environment. And therefore, the environment is not so much in isolation, but really the human-animal environment interface, uh, that's very crucial, whether it's in terms of food security, whether it's in terms of climate security, uh, and so on. But uh, let us let us also recognize that this is an emerging understanding and this is an evolving challenge uh, in, in terms of making this work or even before that, understanding how to make this work because this really spans across architecture of institutions, of processes, of regulatory frameworks, of legal instruments, and so on. And therefore, the current landscape uh, is extremely fragmented. Let's, let's recognize that, that the current landscape is fragmented. And therefore, as we, as we speak, uh, efforts or, or multi-country, I mean, on one hand, and, and I emphasize on one hand, uh, multi-country efforts such as the G20 or, or, or other similar platforms for that matter uh, are extremely crucial in getting countries to commit to, 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 to these issues, to international agreements, uh, uh, pursuing a common agenda and so on. But uh, on, the, on the other hand, uh, the, the, the reality is that making one health work uh, will will go a lot beyond beyond this global understanding or even global agreements or treaties and so on but and i quote uh, from the, from from one of the lancet editorials that by it is but by taking a fundamentally different approach to the natural world one in which we are as concerned about the welfare of non human animals and the environment as we are about humans. And therefore, therefore, uh, as, as that particular editorial goes on to conclude in its closing sentence, uh, and I quote that in its truest sense, one health is a call for ecological and not merely health equity. So the whole uh, emphasis therefore is on an ecological equity. And uh, finally, uh, linked to that, uh, which is also uh, increasingly being being recognized, is this whole uh, issue or understanding of uh, what is called cognitive justice, which essentially decries the dominant hegemony of a discipline or discourse. And cognitive justice, therefore, stresses on the inclusion of alternative paradigms of local and indigenous knowledges in the production process of science. And therefore, uh, we need to understand uh, ecology or, or One Health uh, in, in that spirit. Moving away a little bit, Doctor, uh, there have been critics who have said that the One Health agenda in its, in its demand for collaboration could possibly see the transfer of genetic materials such as plant and animal pathogen samples from developing countries to developed countries but without any legal commitment for return of benefits such as vaccines or drugs. So essentially, developing countries could be giving their materials to developed countries without getting anything back. 
What is your take on this? I believe these these really wouldn't play out really as one-way streets. Now, for example, the pandemic treaty that's being negotiated uh, at the global level under the aegis of uh, the WHO, the pandemic treaty, of course, recognizing that there have been uh, very serious uh, inequities, say, in terms of the COVID vaccine or in terms of other global health. It's, it's just a more recent or more stark example, but global inequities are very widely recognized. Uh, but there is also an impetus uh, and some sense of some sense of uh, responsibility uh, of global leaderships of reducing or closing these inequities. So on one hand, uh, this this may not entirely or this this fear rather may not be entirely true that uh, a lot of this uh, this this resource in that sense uh, will be will be completely usurped if i may on the other hand and and that also needs to be recognized as a risk uh, is that the increasing or or applying in or increasing application of the securitization lens again which has emerged through covid earlier through historical experiences such as plague and and this this in some senses reached quite a quite a peak or zenith during covid of of limitless in restrictions uh, would also apply to biosecurity concerns of animal food products of in in terms of agricultural biosecurity concerns and therefore that could have uh, unforeseen consequences or implications for food markets, for food trade, for for free uh, or or as free free uh, possible of food uh, as as possible, uh, and that this would disproportionately or at least in a somewhat skewed manner. Uh, affect different countries and different economies. That's something that can't be dis- discounted. Uh, but at the same time, there is a welcome attention to global health equity, uh, which is which is significantly or hopefully significantly different from uh, from what has been uh, through the past several decades. And therefore, again to quote and to link it back to One Health. Uh, is that, and I quote, that One Health will be delivered in countries not by concordance between multilateral organizations, but taking a fundamentally different approach to the natural world. That Both are important. Both are important. Global agreements and global consensus is important, but a lot happens or a lot is going to happen uh, based on what we are doing, not just within the countries, but how much how much we are able to contextualize it to local settings, local environments, particularly as as climate uh, concerns become center stage increasingly. And therefore, it's really the right mix of the local and global uh, that's that's going to determine things rather than this treaty, I mean, or going beyond this treaty or that one. Thank you so much for speaking to us today, Dr. Rajiv. Thank you. Always a pleasure. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. 
In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.